Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Well, Canada's first batch of coronavirus vaccines have arrived, but what about the warning for those with allergies to vaccine ingredients? The investigation into the exact cause of a deadly building collapse in London is still underway. 980 CFPL reporter Sawyer Begden joins us with the latest update. And Trudeau government has released the strategy now to dramatically reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 2030. Its centerpiece is a gradual hike in the federal carbon tax. And a lot of people aren't happy about it. It's all coming up. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on The Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. The vaccines have landed. Uh, some of the country's initial 30,000 doses of the Pfizer-BioNTech uh, vaccine have arrived in Canada. Jerry Smith has the report. The Prime Minister made the announcement on Twitter, sharing a photo of the aircraft being unloaded at Mirabel International Airport in Montreal. But Justin Trudeau also adding the fight against COVID-19 is by no means over and Canadians must remain vigilant and follow public health rules. The Pfizer-BioNTech vaccines are bound for 14 distribution sites across the country. More of Canada's initial 30,000 doses are expected to cross the border in the next day. Frontline health care workers and long-term care residents will be among the first to get the shot. Jerry Smith, the Canadian Press. So uh, amid all the uh, elation, I guess, about this and the potential for what might be happening with the pandemic because of the vaccines, there are still some concerns that are being raised. Uh, to talk about that uh, and the impact it may have here, we're uh, pleased to welcome to the program Dr. Jason O'Hayan, who is a pediatrician with Hamilton Allergy and a fellow in allergy and clinical immunology. Uh, doctor, thank you so much for the time. Glad you could be with us here today. Good morning, Bill. Thanks for having me on. As is always the case, I guess, with vaccines, there's always concern about side effects and things of this nature. And we got a little inkling of that, I guess, uh, when we heard about some of the testing that was being done by Pfizer, Doctor. And uh, I, I guess uh, in the initial doses in the UK, a few people actually were hospitalized uh, with some side effects, uh, an allergic reaction, we're told. Uh, is, is this a concern? Should we be really concerned about this, about some of the stories that we've heard of the last little while? So there's certainly need to... to get all this information, and then to analyze all the data. Um, so the, cases, the two cases that were identified in the U.K., although not published as of yet, but certainly from personal communication and from colleagues who work in the U.K., are, are pointing towards the envelope of the vaccine. And it's made out of um, a fat or what's called a lipid layer. Um, now, it's not confirmed yet. that they suspected that they had an allergic reaction to it. So as a result, Health Canada has come out and said that if there is anybody who has had a history and this is specifically Health Canada's recommendation of a vaccine-specific allergic response. Now, these patients at this point, until we know what the exact cause of the reaction was, should be counseled either to not get the vaccine or to see the doctor or allergy consultant and work with public health to get the vaccine in a specialized, what we call desensitized way. But for now, it's really identifying patients who've had a previous allergic reaction to a vaccine, and it's not... I really want to underscore the word not identifying uh, allergy patients in general, which are, are, are very concerned having heard this in the U.K. and are worried whether they're going to be at risk of having an allergic reaction. Well, and I guess you've seen some of the reaction on social media about that, too. Uh, almost uh, this, this concern about, my goodness, I have allergies to something or other. I mean, I'm allergic to cats. Uh, I don't think the vaccine's going to have much of an impact on me if that's my only allergy. But uh, but we, I guess, need to be cognizant about uh, about what's going on with our bodies and, and how we might react to it. 100%. So in order to have any form of allergy, our bodies have to have, 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 have been primed to a certain type of, of, of protein in general, and identifying that protein as a, as a specific label, saying, well, I'll target that protein if we're exposed to it. Like, for example, what you described with cat. 
and the cat protein on the, on the epithelia or the skin of the cat. But uh, as you know, there are multitudes of different types of allergy, and just because you have one type of allergy, say the cat, does not mean that you're at increased risk for having an allergic reaction to a, a unique vaccine that has a, a limited number of, of, of products within it. And interestingly, even in comparison this vaccine to other vaccines, there are fewer preservatives that we see, as we commonly see, for example, in the flu shot. Um, so less, less reasons in general to be allergic on the whole. It's unfortunate that it's, it's gained this much uh, press uh, and been, uh, looked upon in negative light because as you introduce your segment, it is a momentous day to have this vaccine in such a, a short amount, unbelievably short amount of time that we really need to embrace this incredible step in science as a miraculous day today. Oh, your point's well taken. I think a lot of the, the stuff we're hearing lately, I guess, especially in the last 48 hours or so, but possible uh, side effects to this thing is really just kind of piggybacking on some of the trepidation people had about vaccines to begin with. Uh, and, and this line of thought, which I think is totally off base, uh, that they rush this thing and they don't really have their act together. And, and you know, the evidence indicates quite the opposite. I would concur, because um, having uh, personally been involved with uh, trials of Health Canada and their audit system um, to inspect uh, sites that are involved in clinical trials, I can tell you without, without a doubt that Health Canada is, is square on the ball and they're extremely careful about any adverse effects of any, any medication that comes to market, be it a medication that we take over the counter, prescribable or injection therapy. I would have full confidence in our government and, and being able and being able to to vet out all the data to ensure that everything is uh, is as safe as can be. Now, in any time you take on such a mass vaccination program like we've never seen since days of polio, uh, sadly, inevitably there will be people there will be people who have certain side effects that we'll have to kind of monitor and, and determine. Now, by and large, these side effects to this vaccine will be immune related. People will will complain about aches and soreness, and maybe have a low-grade fever. Uh, they may, uh, the, the publications that have come out, especially in the New England Journal this past Friday, identified people having had some what's called um, enlarged lymph nodes temporarily, and all that points towards the immune system responding to the, to the vaccine, the mRNA, and, and, and producing specific antibodies so that if a person were to come across the coronavirus, they'll be able to neutralize it effectively. And that is, by and large, the majority of the reactions. So I think, in, you know, not uncommonly with my colleagues and myself, we're getting a lot of phone calls from our patients who are quite concerned, especially the elderly population, who, by the way, I, will, I would like to make a point that the two patients who did receive this, who reacted were uh, first-line uh, workers, healthcare workers who were younger. It did not seem to happen in the elderly population. Um, in any event, uh, we are trying to just counsel and educate patients accordingly. And I've come across some information that the Health Canada will be screening, obviously, and they've posted this on their website for anybody who's had any history of uh, specific vaccine-related allergy. Uh, they'll get screened before receiving the vaccine for now to probably likely not receive it until we can set up a system that will be able to identify whether the patient is truly allergic to that vaccine or not or that vaccine's components. So I think we're on our, on our way to ensuring this as safe as can be to be given to the masses and trying to allay a lot of the fears. Doctor, to that point, though, I mean, even within allergies, and this is right into your wheelhouse, I suppose. I mean, there's varying degrees of al allergic reaction anywhere. Aren't there, you know, I, I, I mean, I mentioned the, my allergy to cats. I mean, my, my eyes get watery and I get a little stuffy nose, but I mean, I don't go into anaphylactic shock because of it. Uh, some people do have that extreme. So, if, if you have a mild allergy to something, uh, should you be worried about this vaccine? 
by and large, when we talk about my, and, and a quarter of a population have allergies in general, and a lot of them are very much, very, like you described, whether they're respiratory, gastrointestinal, like a food allergy or skin allergies, um, this does not point towards this population. Uh, and it's highly, in general, my colleagues and I rarely get consulted on or rarely see or diagnose true vaccine allergy. It's generally a very specific, very unique kind of corner of allergy. Um, and even in this population who truly has a vaccine allergy, their, their general kind of gestalt is that they don't have multiple other air allergens or food allergens or so. So right now, I believe most of our colleagues, although I, I know from colleagues of mine who work on, on the Board of Canadian Society of Allergy are yet to, to, to publish and release a statement, um, we're not finding that uh, the general allergy population will be at increased risk. It will be specific to help identify which patients have had specific vaccine-related reactions alone. And then to these patients, we have to you know, consult and see them and then work with public health to see how we can protect them with a vaccine, whether it's this vaccine or perhaps the other vaccines that are right around the corner coming out. They may not, they, although I haven't had the opportunity to look at the Moderna data as, as critically as I have the Pfizer data, um, there may very well be another vaccine that would be more appropriate for them. So I, I still want to shine light on all the successes that have been around the world, and we need a bit of good, good cheer and good light this time and uh, focus on that. Doctor, is it safe to assume that you're going to have some kind of a reaction to just about any vaccination that you get? I mean, you use the analogy of the flu shot, which many, many of us, I guess, are familiar with now. Right. You, you, you feel sore in your arm where you get the injection, and maybe you feel a little uh, under the weather for maybe 24 hours or so, but you seem to get over it. Is, is there an expectation that, that when we finally get vaccinated for COVID that we're going to get the same sort of thing? Well, that could be a spectrum of people who have very, very mild to no reactions. So those who may feel... They have to go to bed for the evening, and then wake up the next day, and they'll, they'll be a whole lot better. Um, you're right. And, in fact, it's very much like any vaccine process, even like allergy shots. We want to see some form of reaction that's telling us the immune system is recognizing, recognizing this as foreign and mounting a response. So we do, we do expect to see some local reactions, and by and large, that's been the most amount, most amount of so-called side effect that we see that's acceptable and that will lead to immune protection. So to tell a patient they'll have zero reaction and then if they have a sore arm and they feel unwell for a day and they're upset is, is wrong. We'll say, well, it's possible that you may have a sore arm and you feel unwell for a day and then, you'll, then the overwhelming majority of patients will bounce back and feel a whole lot better afterwards. You mentioned about some of the other vaccines that are going to be out there. Moderna seems to be the next one that's going to be up here. They were still waiting for the, the approval, of course, from Health Canada on that particular thing. But th that's an interesting side point to this, that uh, with different vaccines, whether it's going to be this one, Moderna, or the Johnson & Johnson, or any number of other ones, uh, there's going to be a different makeup to that. So what's maybe the right. Pfizer one isn't good for you, but one of the other ones may well Correct. be. Correct. So I think we should also look at that in a positive light. If it was just one type of vaccine with one formulation, and, and, and uh, then we obviously have to work with this in the patients who've had adverse reactions that are severe. But although that being said, um, from the data that was published in the New England Journal and what was re released from Pfizer, um, there were no significant severe uh, reactions to the vaccine, thankfully. That being said, like you said, the Moderna vaccine, the Oxford vaccine, um, the uh, AstraZeneca vaccine, they're all coming out, and, uh, and we'll be able to then analyze the makeup of each of the vaccines, and then there's specific safety data as well to compare. So we're going to be blessed to have a number of options for our, for our patient population. And just like you introduced in your segment, it's going to be a bit of a marathon between now and the summer when 
we hope that the majority of Canadians will be immunized safely, and then we can uh, look forward to seeing our loved ones uh, much closer again. Doctor, wouldn't that have been something that would have come out during the testing? As you mentioned, it's a rather rigorous protocol that any company has to go through to get Health Canada or CDC approval on this uh, before they get, or the FDA, I guess, down south of the border. Uh, but, but would some of these side effects that, or that people are talking about right now not have manifested themselves in those testings? Yeah, you raise a great point. That was my first response. I thought to myself, I said, how can we have these two allergic reactions in the UK just suddenly, didn't they pick this up in the, in the 20,000 patients who received the vaccine? So uh, delving into the, into the data now, this is just from picking up from different sources. It, I believe what, what the company did is, is um, although, although this is not written in the New England Journal article, that they've excluded patients with severe vaccine-related reactions, just vaccine-related reactions. Now, that being said, I could not see that in the paper, so they may have ultimately included it there. When they pre- presented the data to the FDA, that was not listed there either. But the information that they did present to the FDA there was one young patient who had a delayed allergic response out of the 20,000 patients, and that's it. There wasn't much more than that. So um, now uh, what, what the postulation here is a, is a, is a, is a chemical called polyethylene glycol, um, which, is what in, which is part of the envelope around the vaccine that may be the source of, the, of these two reactions. Um, so that being said, we think we, we do, that needs to be confirmed yet, um, but... Uh, you know, really, we really need to focus on the fact that uh, beyond these two reactions, you know, 19,900 plus patients seem to not have um, any allergic reaction. So that is something to look upon in a very favorable light. Uh, but I mean, I think the, your, your your reader, your uh, listeners rather, should feel reassured that I believe our system will be will take extra care. And precaution to help identify these patients who are worried that they may have a vaccine reaction if they've had that history before and, and um, approach them in a very careful light. However, the overwhelming majority of so-called allergic patients who have allergies like used identified food, inhalant, are at this point not at increased risk for having a reaction to the vaccine. I guess because of social media, though, any one of these stories uh, can spread like wildfire, of course, through social media. And, and oftentimes, like any rumor, uh, you know, they, they start to get blown out of proportion. One of them right. uh, that I'm, I'm sure you saw over the weekend, too, is uh, the Center for Disease Control in Atlanta is actually exploring uh, a couple of uh, cases, I think it is, about people that are actually showing symptoms of Bell's palsy uh, right. after they had this. Uh, in other words, partial uh, paralyzation of, of the facial muscles. Uh, but the CDC was quick to suggest that, look, if there is no correlation yet that it was because of the vaccine they're looking into it but uh, again that 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 seemed to perpetuate the rumor that aha see this is not good for you after all and they're saying just hold on we don't know yet that yet that's a good point bill so i'm privileged to be part of a um i'm part of um clinical trials of, uh, of new medications and i can share with you that whenever a patient is is invited into a trial to look at a potential therapeutic intervention for them of a new medication or vaccine for that matter um, from day one, when they uh, are explained the whole trial and they're um, asked for consent into, into the trial, any symptom they have, so if they slip and they fall and they, and, and they hurt their elbow, that's considered an adverse effect. So everything that happens, um, and then what happens is when a patient calls in and says, I've had this reaction or I, fell, or I had a cold or I have this bruise, then that information is taken back to the investigator and they have to then say, is that a complaint, whether they've sustained a bruise, a fracture, 
uh, a, a sore throat, uh, a cold, is that due to the, to the trial medication, or in this case, a vaccine? So uh, as, as your uh, listeners may know, people can, unfortunately can get Bell's palsy, and the question then is, do those patients receive Bell's palsy? Was it because of the vaccine, or is it because of other causes of Bell's palsy, which we, uh, we know sometimes can be due, well, we don't know, all, it, sometimes it can be what we call idiopathic or due to a virus, say. So the investigator who was involved in trialing the COVID vaccine would have to have then uh, discussed with the medical monitors of Pfizer saying, um, I had this patient who had Bell's palsy in the Cisco, is it because of the vaccine or not? And for, based on the data that was, they submitted to the FDA, it was felt that the Bell's palsy was not due to the vaccine, that it could have been, that it was likely due to other causes. And for that reason, um, it has not been identified as a, a direct association of vaccine. And this happens in all trials, um, that, we, that, that uh, investigators have to attribute whether or not a patient's complaints are due to the vaccine or any medications being trialed uh, or not. And that's, uh, that takes a bit of um, evaluation and looking at the data and understanding discussions with, with medical teams. Um, Doctor, great to have you on the show today to uh, clear up, uh, I guess, a lot of the, the myths and some of the concerns that people are raising right now. I, I agree with you. I think this is a banner day, and uh, hopefully it's uh, it's going to be good news from here on in. Thank you so much for the time today. Really That's appreciate great. it. Thank you. All the best. Take care now. Take care. Dr. Jason O'Hanion, of course, pediatrician and uh, allergy specialist. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. I want to bring you an update on the, the tragic circumstances that happened in London, Ontario, late last week with the building collapse that uh, apparently has left two dead and uh, some people hospitalized as a result. The manager of the City of London's emergency management team, uh, Dave O'Brien, says the recovery of the victim, victims now, was rather difficult because of the structure being unstable. You have to systematically uh, ensure that the building is safe uh, and then approach the response uh, in a very tactful way to ensure that safety is maintained. A uh, terrible situation, and as we say, a second body was recovered. Uh, Sawyer Bogdan is a reporter with uh, Global News in London, of course, with 980 CFPL, uh, to give us an update on this. Sawyer, thanks so much for the time. Glad you could join us today. Thanks for having me, Bill. What do we know so far, Sawyer? This, this caught a lot of people off guard, and you wonder, how could something like this occur? Yeah, I mean, I think it's um, it's kind of been, I think, all hands on deck with everybody in London um, covering the story, but also responding to it, because it really was something that kept playing out every day throughout the weekend. Um, I think everybody's still a little, the big question is, how, how could something like this happen? Maybe if you could give us a little background on this, because, you know, we're getting little tidbits of information here and there as as this starts to evolve. And, and I know, there, as uh, we just heard from Dave O'Brien there, there was some concern about uh, rushing into the into the property right off the bat because it was kind of unstable. This is this was a new building. I, I, I know initially when we heard this, I think the initial reaction a lot of us had was it's probably assembled, decrepit building, you know, that hadn't been expected, et cetera. But uh, this is not supposed to happen with new structures or relatively new structures. Yeah, it's it's a construction site, so it's not a building that's been finished. But it it you know they're laying the groundwork to build something that people are going to live in. Um, I think it was supposed to be like it was supposed to be luxury apartments um, eventually, and they obviously had um, four floors assembled and walls and everything. So you'd hope that if that's something somebody's going to be living in, that uh, collapse and a new structure with you know materials is something that's not 
really going to happen. So I think that is what worried a lot of people, um, especially because video obtained from the scene that's up on our um, Global News' website, it, it shows um, the extent of it, and it sort of looks like it, everything um, collapsed. Um, we, we got word that a wall collapsed, and I think that caused um, several other floors to collapse upon themselves from the weight of it. Um, we don't really know exactly, but the video of it is extensive damage in the area that it happened. Uh, and I, it just caught everybody off guard, and I know Mayor Holder and everyone else is just shocked by this to think that something like this could occur. Uh, how do you, uh, when you talk to the officials about this, Sawyer, how do you proceed with an investigation into this? I mean, I, 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 my first reaction was, wait a second, there's supposed to be inspectors on site anytime there's a construction of any kind of building uh, to make sure that everything is being done properly, and there's always somebody looking over somebody else's shoulder. Uh, is, is there a concern about negligence here, or is, is this is more than just fate? I mean, it's too soon to tell. Um, I think everybody wants to be very careful when they're talking about this. Um, and when uh, the City of London and everybody who responded gave an update yesterday and um, London police, they really emphasize that it's, it's too soon to make any conclusions. They wouldn't really allude to what happened here, whose fault it is. Um, and it's kind of with the Ministry of Labor right now. So it, it is too soon to tell um, what happened, but obviously there will be an extensive investigation into it, and that's what's happening right now. Now that they've been able to uh, free the final body that was trapped, um, it's not in the hands of police so much anymore. It's in the hands of the Ministry of Labor. Uh, we mentioned about the two fatalities, unfortunately. Uh, there were some people hospitalized, too. What's the, the latest on that? Yeah, so on Friday after it happened, um, five people were taken directly to hospital. Um, one of those people didn't have vital signs, so they're the first death. Um, of the four others that were taken to hospital, uh, two have since been discharged, sent home to their families, which is good. And we heard yesterday that the other two are in stable condition, but still in hospital. So a bit of positive news if you can really find any in a tragedy like this and then one other person was assessed on scene friday after they managed to free them but they weren't sent to hospital because their can um their injuries were very minor and then obviously the um second death was uh, a person who was we don't know how they were trapped um but the they confirmed friday, late friday night um that they were deceased however they weren't able to reach the body until midnight saturday because of the uh, how unstable the structure was, and they obviously didn't want to put anybody else's life at risk. Has there been any official statement or reaction uh, from from the construction company, the people that were building this thing? Yeah, so the construction company is the nest on Wonderland, um, and they they responded fairly quickly to us on Saturday, um, and they said we're very sorry to hear about this. It, it's obviously devastating news, and right now they're co they say they're cooperating fully with investigators. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, there's not, there's not too much you can say on this besides it's, mm -hmm. it's obviously a tragedy that lives have been lost. I mean, um, people that worked for them and, uh, right now, because it's too soon to say what happened, they just say they're cooperating fully with investigators. Yeah. I, I'm concerned about liability and things of this nature. I guess obviously they're going to wait for the ministry investigation before there's any official statement on this. Uh, as they say, more to come on this it's a terrible, terrible situation uh, in the Southwest part of the city. Uh, sorry. Thanks so much as always for this. Really appreciate the time and the update on it. No problem. Thanks for having me.
Take care. Sorry, Bogdan, of course, uh, from 980 CFPL News as uh, we track that story. And as I say, the ministry investigation is ongoing, and we'll certainly get more details from them in the passage of time. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. The federal government has released a climate change plan that includes steady increases in the carbon tax uh, for each of the next 10 years. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says in this time that we're living in, we're all grateful for science, but you can't just pick and choose like a buffet. If we trust scientists with our health, as we do, then we must also trust their research and their expertise when it comes to other existential threats. And that includes climate change. There is no vaccine against a polluted planet. Uh, Not everybody's happy about this, uh, including, as you might have expected, Ontario Premier Doug Ford. I'm a strong believer of protecting the environment, but you don't have to protect the environment on the backs of the hardworking people of this province and this country. I've never, ever, ever been more disappointed in announcement ever. Of course, we should mention also that uh, that uh, Doug Ford is one of the people that's uh, concerned about this in the, the province of Ontario, one of the provinces that is actually fighting this, uh, and that's before the Supreme Court right now. We don't have a decision on that. So is this the right time, and is this the right thing to be doing? I want to bring our guest into this. Andrew Brander is uh, with Crestview Strategies. Andrew, thank you so much for the time. Great to have you with us here today. Good morning, Bill. Very glad to be with you. There was some speculation that, well, in light of the pandemic and the financial straits that many people are in, uh, maybe they'll put this program on hold. Are you surprised the Prime Minister's gone ahead with this? Uh, yeah, yeah, I certainly am. I mean, for uh, for a Prime Minister who was born on Christmas in, uh, in the season, I didn't know he could be such a Grinch. Um, but I, I, I do think um, that no one is, is entirely surprised uh, by the announcement, after all, there were uh, warnings coming from the federal conservatives, uh, from provincial uh, conservative premiers from across uh, Canada, who, who you know, signaled that uh, if you if you give a moose a muffin, uh, he's going to ask for a glass of milk to go with it. And and I think that uh, the the writing was on the walls um, about about the future of the carbon tax and uh, and and clearly the liberals have decided that they're going to stake their grounds on this. Um, so while I don't think um, that a lot of people were were left baffled by by the announcement, I do think a lot of people were left scratching their heads on Friday, saying, "Why now?" and um, I think, you know, this type of announcement coming at this time is certainly ill-timed and out of step with, uh, with Canadians. Uh, there's going to be a, an immediate impact, of course, uh, with this. And, the, well, the, the most obvious one, I guess, is going to be the price of gasoline at the pumps. And uh, we've been enjoying a bit of a holiday with that uh, from uh, the time the pandemic started. It's, it's gone down quite a bit. But uh, the estimates here, of course, it's going to go up considerably over the next 10 years. And it's going to be incremental. Uh, the, uh, the game plan that the prime minister, of course, laid out, Andrew, basically said this is going to happen every year right up until 2030. And then they're going to reassess it and see if we're at uh, zero where we're supposed to be. Pretty ambitious target. Yeah, a, a, a very ambitious target, of course, target uh, adapted from uh, from the previous conservative uh, government who committed uh, committed to the same target, uh, but obviously haven't seen haven't seen a significant amount of progress on that. And that also really has to do with the role of the provinces in this. And and that's why the again going back to the timing on this it is it it seems a little a little suspect given given the fact that 
um, as, as you mentioned off the top, the, uh, the case on the constitutional matter of this is still before the courts. Uh, they have not issued a decision, have not rendered, rendered their decision yet. Uh, on that, and and I think a lot of people are are looking at this announcement, saying, "Okay, you know, how many more announcements like this do we do we have to see um, before before we we start addressing this in a meaningful way, addressing climate change in a meaningful way, and not put that burden on the backs of uh, of taxpayers?" Of course, here in Ontario, we know. The province made a very compelling case, you'll recall, about a, a year and a half ago. Um, we, we talk a lot about gasoline prices and, you know, the, the stickers issue, obviously, and, and how people were looking at that 11 cent increase at that time and saying, OK, well, you know, it's sort of 50 50 in terms of in terms of mixed public public opinion polling. Uh, but now they've they've committed to tripling that. So you've got to you've got to think that uh, that that's going to lose people, um, lose people at some end. And and when we did see a lot of the provincial polling uh, going on at that time when this discussion was happening, um, a lot of people were saying, you know, that uh, they were they were willing to pay towards these types of initiatives, initiatives that reduce emissions. However, we also saw once the cost passed the threshold of one hundred dollars that plurality uh, disappeared virtually. So, uh, so I do think this is going to come down to how much people are paying out of their pockets. Um, and, and we also remember during that time, the province went around and, and made, a, made a pretty compelling case in terms of the cost that this is going to have on our hospitals, the cost that this is going to have on our schools, the cost that this is going to have on our long-term care facilities. And when we look at this in the context of what's going on right now, you know, people want to yell and scream about hiring more teachers. People want to say, you know, how poorly funded and understaffed our long-term care facilities are and, and you know, the shortage of hospital spaces. This is all going to come out of their bottom line. The operating costs for, for all of these facilities, these bricks-and-mortar facilities, the increased uh, expenditures that they're going to see because of this are, are just going to skyrocket. And the course is the rebate on the other side of that, and we'll get to that in a couple of seconds. But I guess you know, nobody likes taxes. I mean, we get that, right? Nobody likes to see the price of gasoline go up, and we get that. But the other side of the coin, though, uh, when you look at this and, and, uh, from a, a wholesome picture here, Andrew, we, we're not doing a very good job, each and every one of us, when it comes to this. Everybody wants a cleaner planet. We want a better environment. Uh, but we don't seem to be willing to pay the price for this. And I, 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 I don't know that anybody's actually made a compelling case to say that carbon taxing is the best way to go there are other uh you know methodologies that have been used in other parts of the world cap and trade is the one of course that the wind government tried to put in place here in ontario and that lasted as long as the last election of course uh but you know the, we haven't made much of a commitment to this and you know it's, it's easy to pick apart and say this one's wrong this one's wrong and this one's costing too much uh but each and every one of us has to take some ownership of what's going on with the planet right now too and we're not doing a very good job of that yeah, no, I, I, I would agree. Um, I, I do think, though, that that's why it comes back to the to the question of the question of timing. Right. Which is at the end of the day, uh, a tax is a tax is a tax. And and I think anyone uh, you said, you know, not not many people. I, I just don't know many people out there that, that believe any government taxes are going to ever end up being revenue neutral. Um, so, so I do think, um, 
you know, how do I put this? When times are good, I think it sits far better with Canadians to go off and experiment, if you will, on generating a new economy. But uh, just behind the issues of health uh, right now are issues of our economy, our issues of jobs, and those issues, I believe, are, are going to be paramount in, in the next election. There's a lot of uncertainty as to what a post-COVID Canada is going to look like. And that's why the timing of this announcement, the magnitude of this announcement, is alarming. Um, we look south of the border, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Ohio, all states, uh, they compete against us in not only auto, but general manufacturing. And, uh, you know, none of them have a carbon tax. So, so when we're looking at, at these, these issues and being insecure or unsecure about what, what the future holds for us, we, you know, lots of provinces have, have gone the extra distance to try and make themselves more competitive. And they've just got slapped with this at the worst possible time. That's an interesting angle to this, isn't it? Uh, what's going to happen in the States uh, with the, the Biden administration? Uh, you know, well, then candidate Biden and now President-elect Biden has been pretty strong about uh, changing the, the direction the United States has taken towards economic and environmental issues. Uh, we, we don't know too many of the details about what's going to be happening there, but we do know that that clearly there's going to be a change in direction uh, from the, the environmental standpoint as to how these policies are going to be act. Uh, you know, he, Biden's talking about, you know, getting back in of the Paris Accord and, and try to live up to some of those parameters. Uh, so we're not sure exactly how we stack up right now compared to what uh, the United States is going to do. And, and let's face it, I know that you know we're part of a global economy and a global family when it comes to climate change. But uh, what happens uh, south of the border, to your point, is, is obviously the first pra- uh, barometer that we use here. Hey, what are our neighbors doing and what kind of an impact is that going to have on us? And what kind of an impact is what we're doing going to have on them? Absolutely. And, and as, as we all know, uh, the Prime Minister talks very much and very often about the fact that pollution doesn't, doesn't have borders. And I do think that that's uh, one of the most frustrating points for uh, when we're talking to people here in the province who even, even those that are, you know, most intent on, on making progress. You know, when we look at Canada's rank in, in the broader global uh, fight against climate change, we're certainly pulling above our weight. Uh, we've remained committed to those targets, whether, you know, whether we've made progress or not is, is another story. But, you know, we, we look at, at the, you know, at the scale of this and, and Canada just being, you know, a fraction of, uh, of, of the control, of the contributors towards, uh, towards the, the global problem and, and people are saying, well, then why am I left holding the bill on this? Let's talk about the legal end of it. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, as we mentioned, this uh, challenge is actually before the Supreme Court right now. We don't really have much of an indication as to when they're actually going to render a verdict on this. Uh, but for those of us scoring at home, uh, there were three lower course cases, of course. Uh, we talked about Ontario. They, they lost their case to the Ontario court. Uh, Alberta won theirs and Saskatchewan lost theirs. So I guess uh, if you're pro-carbon tax, it's two for three. But uh, that doesn't make much matter right now. It's, it, the ruling of the court here is is, uh, is going to be very, very important to what happens here. Uh, what happens if the feds lose this? I mean, what does this do to the plan? Yeah, look, uh, I, I would I would just caveat your intro in saying Saskatchewan's was extremely close as well. Yeah. 
Um, but I would, I would say um, the, the provinces had the upper hand going into this. They had three opportunities to refine and reform their argument. And that's why, you know, you saw Ontario lose the first one because they were sort of first, uh, first out the gate. Um, you saw, uh, you saw Saskatchewan come a bit closer. And then Alberta, Alberta obviously won theirs because I think at that point they had had the experience of the other, of the other courts to go and, and refine their argument. So yeah, that's a good question. I do think. Um, at the end of the day, uh, I don't think their I don't think their plan changes. Quite quite honestly, I do think um, that uh, the Liberals have certainly uh, are 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 doing this quite intentionally at this time to stake their ground on uh, this as their pinnacle piece uh, for their for their grand restart. Uh, this grand vision that uh, you know the prime minister has talked about in terms of legacy building. Um, and and those pieces. And I think they're staking their political fortunes on this as well. Um, they've seen uh, the signals from the conservative leader, Aaron O'Toole, moving a little bit more into the center, softening the Tory line on the environment, still opposing the carbon tax, but but certainly expanding, uh, expanding into the space in, in a more reasonable, balanced, pragmatic sense. Uh, and I think the Liberals, have uh, have made the calculation that in order to recoup some of the some of the support that um, that the Tories are eating into, they really need to shift hard to the left. Um, and we saw that in recent by elections in Toronto, the NDP and the Green support surge. Right, the Liberals uh, have made the calculation that they need to eat into that vote, and have decided this is the policy that uh, that they're going to do that on. So. Quite frankly, I, I, I don't, I mean, we'll, we'll wait to see. Uh, interesting that the Supreme Court's sort of still sitting on that. Uh, wonder if that's, uh, if that's going to be a verdict that's released before the next election. Uh, who knows? I guess it depends on, uh, depends on when we go. But when most people are looking at, at the political scene saying, hey, we're, you know, we're headed to an election probably in March or April. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we're going through another campaign without the certainty of, of the court's decision on that. Yeah, time will tell. And you're right. I mean, we're not quite sure when's going on. I mean, we know the emergency measures were passed to allow for weekend voting. If, in fact, there's going to be an election before, they can actually make some substantive changes to that. So we're uh, really in a gray area here, aren't we? That's right. And it's, uh, it's a lot of wait and see. Um, but I, I do think I do think that, you know, this is uh, this is just as much uh, a decision about uh, a grand vision, et cetera, as, as it is retail politics. I mean, at the end of the day, you mentioned it. Uh, incentive checks, uh, if you will, go uh, go a long way. And if uh, if Canadians are filing their taxes, you know, in in March and April, right around the time that we're going to the polls, and they're seeing they're seeing uh, a rebate coming back to them. That that could go a long way in terms of uh, in terms of convincing people that that this is a good idea. Yeah, checks in the mail are always a winner, isn't it? Anytime around election time. <laughs> Andrew, uh, politics exactly. Yeah, that doesn't change, does it? Uh, thanks so much for this, Andrew. Great talking with you today. Hey, it's been my pleasure. Thanks very much for your time, Bill.
Take care. Andrew Brander, of course, with the Crestview Strategies. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.